Hello, and thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. My name is Ashley Burrell. I'm the Secretary of the Board for Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. We will be producing monthly podcasts featuring women of color in the peace and security field. So please visit WCAPS.org regularly for more details. Ambassador Bonnie Jenkins, and I am Ilana Aquino, Ambassador Jenkins' founder and chairperson of the board, and I am vice chairperson of Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security, WCAPS. And today I have the privilege to interview the ambassador to ask her a few questions about why she founded this organization, a bit about her own career and trajectory, and what she sees for the organization for the future. Hey, Ambassador, how you doing? I'm fine, Alana. How are you? Wonderful. All right, so we'll just launch in. If you could give us a little bit about yourself, just a little background to fill people in before we fully launch into the questions. I am a lawyer, and I have practiced international law, but in the government. My background is in the area of weapons of mass destruction, nonproliferation, disarmament, and threat reduction. So what that means is I've spent many years of my life working for the government on issues and programs where we can work with other countries to help ensure no country uses biological, nuclear, or radiological, or chemical weapons. And also we prevent bad actors from getting their hands on the materials or pathogens or chemical precursors that can be used to develop these types of weapons. So I've worked in a number of departments in the U.S. government, predominantly uh, State Department. I was actually at State Department for almost the entire eight years of the Obama administration. My title was coordinator for threat reduction programs. And in that role, what I did was I coordinated U.S. programs that were geared to ensure that bad actors don't get their hands on the weapons, as I mentioned earlier. And also a number of things related to that. For example, I was the U.S. State Department representative to the Organization for the Nuclear Treaty Summits that were led by the White House. I was the U.S. representative to something called the G7 Global Partnership Against the Spread of Weapons and Materials of Mass Destruction, or a Global Partnership in short. And that was an international initiative of about 30 countries who all worked together to coordinate their programs to prevent weapons of mass destruction terrorism and did a number of other things related to these issues. I also, in the last four or five years, started to get involved in the area of combating infectious disease like Ebola and Zika, coming in from my biosecurity side and working with other parts of the U.S. government in an effort to prevent, detect, and respond to infectious disease threats whether it's natural, accidental, or intentional. And so I was from the intentional side, and that's how I got involved in that initiative. My education, I, as I said, I'm a lawyer. I have a law degree, a master's in public administration, a master's in law, and a PhD. And I think I'll leave it at that. Thanks a lot. Okay. It's interesting that you have the master's in public administration and also the PhD, but what you most identify with is being a lawyer. Why is that? Actually, it's interesting because I really don't. 
I know that's the first thing I mentioned when you asked the question, but mainly, at least in most recent years, obviously, I've been much more focused on my work as a diplomat and as an ambassador and less so as an international lawyer. That's how I started my career in the federal government is mainly through my law degree, because when I started in the U.S. government in the early 1990s, I was serving as the lawyer to U.S. delegations and our ambassadors who were negotiating these arms control treaties overseas. But eventually I migrated to more international relations and foreign policy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know there's a there's a cool story about how you actually migrated. Can you say a bit more about that? Very often I'm asked the question, how did I get into the area of weapons of mass destruction? Because it's not a typical thing. And it wasn't for me either. As I said, I graduated from law school and my master's in public administration. I came to Washington under the Presidential Management Fellowship Program, and I worked in the Department of Defense. And I was doing a rotation because through that program, you get to do rotations in the government for two years. And one of my rotations was in the Office of Secretary of Defense in the International Law Office. And it was during that time when I went with my mentor to a meeting. I was kind of not having a lot to do at the time. And I said, I'd like to just, let me just tag along with you and see what you're doing. He went to a meeting. It was called the backstopping meeting. And backstopping meetings back in the 1990s, when the U.S. used to negotiate these arms control treaties on a regular basis in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And he was the defense lawyer at the meeting. It was a meeting where they were discussing the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, or something called START, with Russia and the Soviet Union at the time. And I was totally fascinated by this subject matter. It was something I had never even thought about. I mean, the issue of weapons of mass destruction was not even on my radar screen at all. And when I walked out that meeting, I decided this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a lawyer that worked with the delegations that traveled overseas and represented the ambassador and the delegation as the lawyer and did all the legal-related work to the delegation, including drafting treaty text and negotiating whatever issues I needed to while I was overseas. And then, of course, bringing the treaty back home to get through advice and consent of the Senate. So I wanted to do that. And so that's it was totally by accident that I got into this field. Well, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Do you see for yourself that being a woman of color has had an impact on your career thus far? It's, yes, it's been interesting. And I know that a lot of women of color can identify with this. For the majority of time that I was working in this field, it's been not very many people of color and even fewer women of color in the area of weapons of mass destruction. Particularly many of the past few years, I've also been the only woman, though we've had an increase in women in the area of international security, which is great. But as far as minorities or people of color, and particularly women of color, there have not been many. So it's been a lot of situations where I've had to become comfortable being the only person. And like I said, I'm sure a lot of women of color out there can relate to this in learning how to be confident and comfortable in that situation, being the only person. So it's been an interesting part of my career, but I've loved the issue so much that I've wanted to stay with it, despite the fact that there weren't a lot of people like me who were working in the area. Is this part of what's led you to WCAPS? If you could speak a bit more about WCAPS itself and why you came up with this idea. 
WCAPS is a number of things. There's a number of things that I see this this organization doing. As you asked, that's very true. I mean, a lot of the reasons why I thought about doing something like this, and I've been thinking about it for many years, is because, one, there aren't a lot of women of color in what we call hard security, which is a, what's a mass destruction issue. But I also noticed that there are women of color who are scattered. I call it scattered around in different parts of the U.S. government in the area of international security, broadly defined. And I wanted to find a way in which women of color who work in these areas can network, get to know who each other are, what we do, and to provide a roadmap and a future for future women of color, young women who can get into these fields of international security, and also to be part of the debates. I mean, this organization is for focusing on women of color, but it's really also to recognize the fact that a lot of the policies, I mean, as I said, I worked at the State Department for a number of years, so I focus on international issues, international policies, and so many of the policies that we adopt in the U.S. affect other countries, obviously, in ways and in areas that directly affect women of color. And yet, in a lot of the debates and a lot of the writings and articles, blogs, you name it, you don't see a lot of women of color who are at the table. And it's a little strange. <laughs> it's been like that for many years. But it also means that a lot of the things that we are doing, whether it's policy or programs, are not going to be as successful as they could be if we don't have people with a cultural perspective who are part of the, the conversation. So I want to have a way in which we can be engaged, women of color can be engaged in discussions, to be a part of them, to be at the table, to be in the debates, and to create our own avenues for being part of substantive issues. And discussions. Yes, and you yourself were appointed by Obama, isn't it, to the State Department and approved by the Senate. That's no small feat. How did that come to be? That happened because of when I was working at the Ford Foundation in their main office in New York, uh, they have offices around the seas, overseas, around the world. I got a call, received a call from my office when I was in Washington that Secretary Clinton, well, actually, she was Senator Clinton at the time, wanted to speak with me. And so I was pretty much appointed through... Secretary Clinton, who asked me if I wanted to take on an ambassador-level position that was being created, to which I said yes. And as a result, I was officially appointed by President Obama in, uh, I think, April and confirmed in June of 2009. And in that role, I believe I saw on your CV you were coordinator of the Department for Weapons of Mass Destruction. Is that correct? Right. Coordinator for threat reduction programs. So what that really entailed was I mentioned a couple of things, you know, the Nuclear Security Summit where I was a State Department representative for that and chair and a U.S. representative for something called the G7 Global Partnership. But as far as the coordinator role, there are a number of programs that the State Department, Department of Defense, Department of Energy, others, programs that we have that are targeted to prevent bad actors from getting their hands on weapons. And there are so many programs, there's quite a few, when you combine all of the programs in the U.S. government. And so my role was to help coordinate those programs and to mm -hmm. also work with other countries in coordinating programs to make sure that we're not overlapping, that we're actually addressing concerns. And these programs range from the practical side of building fences around bio laboratories or securing nuclear material or making sure that chemical precursors are secure to export control issues, to training border security guards or what they should be looking for in terms of illicit material. A number of programs that are all really in the prevention side to make sure that we prevent bad things from happening. 
What was that like having that position and coordinating nationally and internationally? Being a woman, did you ever come across people who may have been less willing to hear you or less willing to cooperate because of you being a woman? I would say by the time I was an ambassador for the U.S., that carries a certain stature. And yeah. so I would say that there were a lot of cases where I, that was not a problem at all. But there were cases, if there was concerns, it was hidden <laughs> um, because there was a recognition of my role and they saw my expertise and the fact that I've been a political appointee, but I've been working in this area since the early 19, in these issues since the early 1990s. So I came to the position with a lot of substantive background and a lot of expertise. So I think that that carried its own weight. And I think the position carried weight. So I didn't necessarily run into a lot of people who who did not necessarily want to work with me because of being a woman. And if that was the case, they were able to hide that and I didn't see it. Okay, I got it. All right. So what's your favorite aspect of your career to date? Well, the issues have been really interesting. I've done a lot of travel since the early 1990s because whatever position I was in, it was always international. The last eight years in Obama administration, my portfolio was a global portfolio. So I pretty much was traveling around the world on a regular basis. Working with people from different countries, different cultures, the role of bringing together different types of experts with different viewpoints as a coordinator is I find very interesting and energizing. I know a lot of people don't. (laughs) Um, The idea of trying to bring together different experts and different viewpoints and cultures can be very frustrating. I have found that to be very interesting and I enjoy it. So it's been the travel, the work with different people, with different cultures, learning about people in different cultures. At the same time, I was working to prevent major things that could happen in a very negative way if they were to happen was, I think, very rewarding. And being part of things like the Nuclear Security Summit, where we had four of them during the Obama administration, a lot of work, but very successful, is rewarding. So it's been a lot of activities in my, and a lot of work in my career that I found very rewarding. Just really impressive. And what would you say is your model of success? Success to me is when somebody achieves a particular vision that they've set out or a particular goal. I am most happy when I am working towards something that I imagine that I think would be good or a way in which we can do things and actually set about implementing it and then seeing it to fruition. So to me, that's how I define success and being happy. Um, however people define that personally, not by how society defines anything, but how each individual person defines happiness is to me what happiness is. And who have you been your role models on your path? My role models have changed. They're not famous people for the most part. There's no one I can name that anyone here would probably know. But as a rule, I tend to look to, as I go through each part of my life, I change role models only because as I try to achieve the next goal, I try to look for people who've achieved that goal already. And I try to see how they achieved what they achieved and see how I can go about achieving that as well. So my role models have changed throughout the years, but there's, you know, there's other types of more famous role models who people would know, like Michelle Obama, Harriet Tubman, people like that who have achieved a lot against a lot of odds. And I admire that. I admire people and particularly women of color who always have to work so much harder than so many others when they achieve things. I admire it because I know how much harder they have to work to get where they need to get and get to where they want to be. I got it. And so 
In terms of women of color advancing peace and security, what is the impact that you foresee it having on the world, on peace and security, and why now? The impact, I would like to see an organization of members who have expertise in a number of issues of peace and security, whether it's everything from weapons of mass destruction to climate change and how that affects security and infectious disease issues and food and water security, just to have a number of women who are working on these different fields So we know who they are. And if we want to have a woman to speak on Middle East issues or issues in Asia or any substantive issue that we know where we can go and find somebody, because I believe there are those women who are experts. We don't know a lot of times who they are. So I'd like to see an organization that we have those kind of women who we are mentoring other young women who are in this field or want to be in this field to stay in the field and to be role models to them and to be an organization that promotes substantive discussions on their own so that we, the organization, can host a meeting on U.S. and Russian relations or our position on Iran or whatever the case may be. What is the U.S. position or what's the debate on infectious disease issues and host discussions that can be with women of color or others, but to be, you know, part of that debate and part of that discussion. Speaking of hosting events, there is an event coming up, isn't there? Yes, there was a launch for the organization on December 7th from 6 to 8 at the Truman National Security Project. I will ask you, Alana, to remind everybody what the address is. Please go to the website and there's information there. We are filling up quickly, but we hope to be able to have a live broadcast so people can listen in. We're also trying to find out ways that people can watch the event as it takes place. So we're pretty excited about our launch on December 7th, and we would like as many people as possible to be a part of it. You've got a pretty good lineup of panelists. What types of areas are you looking to cover? The good thing is as as we started to pull together the potential list of panelists for our launch, it was great because we started to see what it is that we want to see with this organization is actually identifying women of color in the field. So we're looking at climate change, someone who can talk about infectious disease, someone who can talk about space policy as just three, someone who can talk about counterterrorism issues. So we're lining up people who can talk about a number of different issues and talk about being a woman of color. in those areas, but also to talk about some of the substance as well. Absolutely. And I have the Truman Project is located at 1250 I Street Northwest, and that's Suite 500. So if you're interested, please be sure to check our website, wcaps.org and sign up, become a member of of our network. Well, Ambassador, maybe just a few last remarks, if you would, about your vision for diversity in peace and security. It's 2017. There are a lot of different challenges we're being confronted with at the moment. What would you say are the top, if you have to say the top five issues where you really see women of color can deeply impact our current global picture? Okay, well, that would be, I guess, for me, and I think obviously women would have a different opinion. I would say, and not necessarily, I don't know if these would be necessarily in order of importance, but I would say infectious disease, because infectious disease is something that's going to be with us for a long time. I would say food and water security, because that's really affecting 
parts of the world, in Africa and other parts of the world, is a big issue. Climate change, really important issue. I don't think I need to even say that's important because it's it's really affecting us. Biodiversity issues, and interestingly say enough. Well, biodiversity is related to a number of things like food security and food safety, climate change, because climate change can affect animals and the future of animals. And it, it affects just the environment and ecosystem if you have an imbalance of the environment and, and animals and things like that. So it's all connected to infectious disease, food and water security, climate change. They're all kind of connected to our future and, and on this earth. So each one of those are important in their own right, but also separately important. I would say, you know, and in that same vein, and, I, and yes, I have not mentioned my own issues of weapons of mass destruction. I guess I would say oceans. So these things I see, they're very important. Uh, they're important to everybody, but I particularly see them being important for women of color around the world and how they impact women of color. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Any final words? Looking forward to everyone being a member. The organization is open to everyone. So please go to the website and check the membership and join. Men and women? Yes, certainly. Awesome. You have also begun reaching out to young people. So I just want to put a spotlight on that as well. WCAPS has now started a youth ambassadors branch being spearheaded by three powerful young women. So we're really looking forward to seeing what they create. Yes, that's going to be a very important part of what we do. So we certainly want some young people on board. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking your time to speak with us and share with everyone who's listening a bit more about Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. Again, the website is wcaps.org. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What is the name? WCAPS Net for both Twitter and Instagram. And Facebook, you can just find us with the title of the organization, Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security, and you'll find us if you put that in the search engine in Facebook. And we're also on LinkedIn, so we're getting out there on the cutting edge. That's right. We have a, we have a group in LinkedIn as well. Thank you for joining Women of Color Advancing Peace and Security. Please visit WCAPS.org. That's WCAPS.org. Thank you.